the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday. You're listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what we do here every weekday at 4 o'clock is to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions, questions about what we believe as Christians and why, questions about something going on in your life, uh, doctrinal questions, just anything and everything that's on your heart. We'll do the best that we can to answer those questions. The way to get in touch with us is to dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 9585. You can also call us toll free at 877 630 KSLR. Numerically, that's 630 5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app if you're driving in your car. The safest way to call us is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Not much going on on Tuesday, so we'll get right to our questions. This first one is sort of a sad one that I have to answer from our mobile app from Gail. Um, She, the way it's spelled, is a female. Would you say that a majority of self-called Christians are living carnal lives for Jesus? Gail, I'm really, really sad that you even have to ask that question. Um, I'm certainly not qualified to answer it. Um, I'm not in a position where I can judge anyone. But let me just say a few general things. I think, and I'm going to substitute um, carnal and lukewarm lives as being the same thing. I think a lot of times, and I think this has been true throughout church history, when... Christians were living in comfortable times. In other words, when there was no persecution, when there was no threat, when they were comfortable with creature comforts, those kind of things. I think the tendency has been uh, to live a carnal or lukewarm Christian life. Um, unfortunately, uh, it, we, I mean, it, we wish it wasn't that way. But it seems like sometimes trials and even desperation are necessary for us to really hold on to Jesus. Now, the second thing I want to say is this. Um, We are all going to be carnal. Our flesh is always going to win if we're not with Jesus. So the answer to the question, do I think most are, I can't speak from a position of qualification, but I will say this. Every one of us, who is saved, will be lukewarm for Jesus, will be living in our flesh. That's what carnal Christianity is. If we're not with him. And I think far too much of the time, Gail, what we try to do is we try to, um, you know, serve God on our own, only to be frustrated. I think we forget about the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that we're not to quench the Holy Spirit. And by definition, if we're quenching or resisting the Holy Spirit of God, then we're going to be living out of our flesh and we're going to be carnal or lukewarm in our walk with Jesus. 
I think in places in this world where there is great threat of persecution, even death, I think the Christians there are forced to be with Jesus. I think they're forced to hold on very, very tightly. We recall not too many years ago when those Coptic Christians were beheaded by ISIS. All they had to do was say, I denounce Christ, and they would have been able to live. I accept Islam. Um, and, and in that particular instance, it would have been radical ISIS-type Islam. And they could have spared their lives. Those were not lukewarm or carnal Christians. So I think a lot of it depends on our circumstances. I personally think that's a sad commentary on the state of Christianity throughout the world. Now let me just address the Christianity here in the United States, and if you'll give me just a couple of minutes, I'll give you a little bit of background on this. I was saved about six months. 1991 is when I got saved, and and the Lord called me to be a pastor. And in my immaturity, you know, you kind of argue with him, well, I can't be a pastor, all the terrible things I've done, and finally wrestling with Jesus for a little bit. Okay, but here was my comment. Lord, if I'm going to be a pastor, I want to be a pastor where everybody in that church is committed and submitted to you. No pretending, no playing church. I want people committed. Now, I realize all these years later how immature and childish that was. But at the same time, it was a good desire of my heart. So I began praying for the church that was committed and submitted to Jesus Christ. And we're still looking for that church. I think here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, um, we have a huge percentage of the people in our church body who are really, really pretty sold out for Jesus. We've seen his hand move time and time again. But it still breaks my heart. I'm giving invitations at times, and I'm talking about invitations to unbelievers and believers. To unbelievers, of course, to accept Jesus Christ. To unbelievers, to to repent of their sin and be forgiven. To believers, though, to be filled afresh with the Spirit of God. To tell Jesus how sorry you are for living in woeful sin because you haven't changed or because you're holding on to anger or bitterness or unforgiveness. And there are times, Gail, when I feel like Jesus is pleading from within me. There are times when I feel like he's he's doing everything except forcing people to get out of their chair and come forward. But the truth is, most people sit in their chairs when they know they're not right with God. And I found this interesting dynamic at work. When I give an invitation based on a message that is sort of general, if you want to get close to God, if you um, want to be used by God, those kind of things, that the response from believers is always pretty exceptional. But when I give an invitation, and this is the case most of the time for believers, you need to repent now need to change now. If you're living in sexual immorality, you've got to stop now. If you're living with somebody you're not married to, you've got to stop now. You've got to get out of the house. If you're holding on to unforgiveness, you've got to stop now. When I give those kind of questions, people just sit, and you can feel the tension sometimes in the room. And that's because those Christians are living carnal lives for Jesus. I'm not one to question their salvation. That's between them and the Lord. But they don't want to make a commitment to changing today. And so, Gail, I think in our country, it's the only place I'm familiar with intimately, uh, I think the majority of professing believers are lukewarm or carnal. If they're going to go to heaven, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says they'll be in the smoking section, they'll escape the flames as though by fire, smoking, But yeah, I'm sad to report that we're so comfortable in this country that Christianity is more of an eternal life insurance policy than it it is a way of life. Final thought, Gil, is this. If you're with Jesus, you cannot be carnal. doesn't mean you won't have carnal moments. 
But if you're with him, he's going to use you. He's going to challenge you. And that's my prayer for our church. It's my prayer for those of you in this listening audience that we wouldn't settle. Sadly, I think that too many times it's the carnal, lukewarm Christians that influence those of us who are committed instead of the other way around. And we're going to have a lot to answer for, I think. We live in a country where we are the freest in the world to proclaim Jesus Christ. We live in a time when our world is literally going to hell in front of our very eyes. The mission field is ripe for harvest, as Jesus said in John chapter 4. And we're not doing anything about it. We're not taking advantage of the opportunity that we've been given by God. And I think it breaks Jesus' heart. I said that would be the last thing, but here's one more thing. Anybody who's not sharing their faith is living a lukewarm or carnal life. And I mean everybody without exception. For the moment we get saved, we want to tell people about what Jesus has done for us. So anybody who's not sharing their faith is living a carnal life. Paul wrote to Philemon, he said, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that we have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. If we don't understand every good thing that we have in Christ, we're not going to share. And that's because we're living in carnality. So, Gail, that's the best I can do. I'm um, sorry that you had to ask that question. 340-9585 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question. Is it okay to smoke marijuana in a state where it is legal? No, 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 a thousand times no, anonymous. We are to call to, 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 to sober, vigilant lives. We know clearly that being drunk is a sin. People say, well, it doesn't say anything about marijuana. Well, um, there weren't marijuana plants that were being smoked in the ancient world. So, no, it's not. You know, the state says abortion is legal. But it's a sin to do that as well. So, no, it's not. We are to live lives of spiritual sobriety. We're certainly not to, 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 to let anything be in control of us. So, no, it's never okay to smoke marijuana. This anonymous is a question that I get uh, uh, quite often. Uh, when people stop me on the streets or something, they'll ask this question because we live at a time. Who would have ever thought? Now, everybody knows I'm old, so just forgive me for this, but it never would have seemed possible just 20 years ago, 15 years ago. It never, ever would have seemed possible that marijuana would be legal, ever. And yet here we are. And now because it's going to be a great tax revenue stream for states, you're going to see more and more states jumping on it and we're ruining people's lives. Old people, young people, people in between, we're ruining their lives by letting them legally, recreationally, even medicinally, smoke marijuana it's a sin if you're a Christian and you're doing it you need to stop here is a question from Gabby Jesus revealed himself to the world and I was wondering why the father doesn't reveal himself well Gabby he did and see that's the important point Jesus revealed the father Philip don't you know that if you've seen me you have seen the father Jesus said And that was at the end of the ministry. Philip should have known better. Just show us the Father and that'll be enough. We see the Father who is not physical in the sense that Jesus was physical or you um, or, or I am physical, Gabby. So it took Jesus becoming flesh, dwelling among us, to reveal the Father. One look at Jesus, you saw the Father. 
You saw the character. You saw the holiness, the justice, the love. You saw his compassion and his mercy. All embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. So remember, Jesus said that the Father is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So again, he doesn't have a body, but he's revealed himself to this world in the person of Jesus Christ. Now before that, even before Jesus took on incarnation, he revealed himself. He revealed himself through creation. I mean, we look at this world that we live in. It's an amazing place. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. There is no nation or language where they're not understood. So God revealed himself to us through creation. He also revealed himself to us through conscience. The fact that we do something wrong and we know it's wrong is God revealing himself to us. And then, of course, through Jesus, he's revealed himself to us through his holy law. Those who lived under the old covenant understood just how holy and just and righteous he was. He's revealed himself to us now through his word. So we don't have to worry about the Father revealing himself because he's already done it. You know, Gabby, I've had people say, and I'm not suggesting this is your motive for asking a question, but I've had people say, well, you know, if God would just show himself to me, then I would know, well, what more does he have to do? I've had people say, well, I can't believe in anything I can't see. Well, they believe in air. They use it all the time. You can't see air. We believe in gravity, but there's nothing that we can see that we can say, oh, look at gravity today, looking good. Well, the Father has revealed himself to us in the most intimate and costly way ever in the person of his son, Gabby. So that's all that's necessary. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Edward. He says, I know you're currently teaching on David and Bathsheba, so I wanted to ask, why did David get away with such terrible sins? Uh, Edward, if you watch tomorrow night's study at calvarysa.com, it'll be on, or you're certainly welcome to join our church here at uh, uh, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Um, you're you're going to see that he didn't get away with anything. He didn't get away with anything at all. Um, For those of you who did watch, we got lots and lots of activity online for the study last week. It was just the first five verses in 2 Samuel chapter 11, just sort of setting up the sin with Bathsheba, talking about the anatomy of sin. Well, tomorrow night's Bible study, and then the two Bible studies that will follow it in chapter 12 are absolutely essential. If you think you can get away with sin, you need to listen to these Bible studies. If you think God understands why you're doing the things you are, if you think that that you're getting away with it now so God is okay, I'm going to tell you tomorrow you're going to get busted. God's going to expose your sin. David didn't get away with anything. He murdered Uriah. Other people were killed, David's mighty men, because of David's sin. The son that was born from the pregnancy with Bathsheba would die after roughly three months of life. David's family for the rest of his life would be the most dysfunctional family you can imagine. You think the Kardashians are dysfunctional? Nothing compared to David's family. He's going to have a son who's going to rape a daughter. He's going to have another son who's going to kill that son. And then that same son is going to try to overthrow his own father. His life would never have peace. He was forgiven. But you see, we can't escape consequences. So he didn't get away with it at all. 
the last verse in our Bible study tomorrow night, if I can get that far. I have a tendency of talking too much when I'm doing the Bible studies. It says, And the thing that David did displeased God. And Edward, whenever you displease God, you're never going to get away with anything. Never, ever, ever. Sin will take you farther than you ever dreamed it would, and it will do so faster than you ever believed it would. And so we don't get away with anything at all. So yeah, I am currently teaching on that. Tomorrow night's study is an important one. Here's a question from Hank. He wants to know, why did Jesus have to be baptized? Well, we know that everything Jesus did was because his father told him to do it or he saw his father doing it. So he did it out of obedience. Now, he didn't have to be baptized like you and I need to be baptized in the sense that we're bearing the old sin nature and coming up in the resurrection power of life because Jesus didn't have a sin nature. So he was baptized not because he'd sinned. He was baptized to identify with sinners like me. So, Hank, that was the motive behind the baptism. It was only you know, when, when John the Baptist was in the waters at the Jordan River and Jesus walked in the water and he looked up. Can you imagine the look on his face? He looked up and said, It is you that should baptize me, John said. Jesus said, No, do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, he was identifying with sinful people. And since repentance was necessary and the Jewish concept of baptism was a baptism of repentance, it was then that Jesus walked into those waters and became every man, every woman. And we know he would then leave and be tempted by the devil in the wilderness directly after the baptism. Once again, where he could understand what we go through only to a far greater, an infinitely greater degree. So Hank, he was baptized because he was being obedient to his father and his father wanted him to identify with you and me. So I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Marv. He wants to know, why did Jesus tell his disciples to buy swords? Marv, it's an interesting question. Um, certainly it wasn't because they, they, were, they needed to be self-defense. I, I've had people use this verse uh, inappropriately to suggest, well, see, we should all carry firearms. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples to do. Jesus was simply, now remember, Peter took Jesus literally. When they came to get Jesus, he pulled the sword out of his robe and started whacking and got Malchus's ear. But what Jesus meant was this. Up to now, I've lost no one. The Father has given you to me, and here you all are. I've made things as easy as I could. I've protected you every minute of every day. But now because I'm going to my father and your father, go buy yourself a sword. In other words, things are getting hard now. And that was just Jesus' way of telling them to be prepared for the trials that come along. One of the things, Marv, that has always amazed me is that you can tell a Christian that trials are going to come and we sort of say, yeah, sure, and and we know it intellectually, but we never really take it to heart personally. And what we do is we just think, no, I'll handle it when it comes. Or no, it won't, the, the trials won't be that bad. We can handle it. I was talking with one of my pastors yesterday, and, and you know, it's, he's been going through a hard time. His family, trial after trial after trial. And what we told them when they got here was, you know, every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. That means you're going to encounter trials and testing. And you know, it's one of those things where we all know it, but we don't really believe it. Trials are part of what we do. Trials draw us closer to the Lord. Trials teach us to depend on Jesus. Trials test our toughness, both spiritually and emotionally. Jesus was letting his disciples know that things are going to change when I'm gone. People are going to try to kill you because they tried to kill me. They're going to insult you because they insulted me. Generally, he said, because they hated me, they're going to hate you. 
So what he's telling them is to be ready to fight. Be ready to fight. But he wasn't in any way condoning modern-day Christians buying guns or anything like that. That's a completely different issue. He's just saying, get ready, because the battle is just now going to begin. And Marv, if anything is at all something we can depend on, is that trials are going to come. Luke 22, verse 36 is the verse where Jesus told his disciples to buy the swords. Maybe two years from now, I'll get to that when we teach it. (laughs) We just started, Luke, I'm starting... uh, Luke chapter 2 this week. By the way, that means, you know what, it is Sunday at Calvary Chapel San Antonio. It's Christmas all over again. We just had Christmas, but it's Christmas again because at least at Calvary Chapel, Jesus is going to be born this Sunday. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. or toll free 877-630-KSLR-5757. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Tuesday program, 340-9585. Phones have been quiet. Remember, the program's a lot more interesting when you're talking and not just me. Uh, We just got to prayer requests and and I want to I want to hopefully I can encourage the the requester uh, here it says pastor on the radio listeners uh, please pray for us in regards to a two-year-old boy we're fostering if it is the Lord's will we would like to adopt him here are the circumstances when the baby was born he was in the NICU for two months because he was born addicted to I believe methadone that his mother was on a prescription for uh, we had custody of the boy when he was six to eight months old while both parents checked into rehab. Uh, to bring you up today, we've had custody of this child once, or we have custody of this child once again. Um, his dad is in a recovery program right now, and I found out there were two warrants for his arrest. His mom just got released from prison uh, and has been in prison since November 2017. Uh, she has eight years probation and some other details that aren't necessary. The child's mother has been in and out of trouble with drugs and alcohol for 20 years. And her mother, the grandmother, has always enabled her and bailed her out. The woman's dad will be testifying in court of law that she's an unstable mother for the child. And she's told CPS that his daughter is unstable to care for the child. The little boy has been neglected of love and care. Uh, To give you an example, we gave the child back to his parents at eight months. They had him for well over a year. And in that year, only advanced to a nine-month-old in terms of speech assessment. Um, And then there's some other information. Uh, we, she says, or he says, this is from M and B, and we truly believe that if he goes back to the environment of his parents, it would be an emotionally distraught time for the child, uh, and he would regress. Uh, M and B, I am all too familiar with this story, uh, not yours, but just so many stories like it, and I promise you, I will be praying uh, for you, for this child, um, uh, it's just a heartbreaking thing. Let me, I hope, encourage you. Today, it's sort of a sad day and a and a happy day at the same time. This morning we got news that a young woman uh, went to be with Jesus. She was um, a woman who lived a lifestyle. When I say young, she's in her 20s. Um, she lived a lifestyle like the one that you describe here and um, she just didn't survive. She'd been in foster, or in I'm sorry, in hospice care now for a couple of weeks, and we knew that she was going to die. Um, the good news is that we got word that um, one of our ladies from Manor House um, led her to the Lord. She knew what she was doing, and hopefully now her pain is gone. If she really meant it, and I'm sure she did. At this case, she had nothing to lose. Oh, she's in heaven with Jesus. 
the encouragement I hope to offer you is we have a family in our church, uh, one of my pastors, his wife, who've raised their own kids. They're grown and gone. And this young girl's three children, two of the little girls, um, they've already adopted them. They fostered them, and then they went through with the adoption process. And when I walked in today, my heart was sad. Paula just gave me the information about the mother. And I walked in, and one little girl was right there in the hall. And she yelled, Papa Ron, and she just comes running to me. Now, this young girl, now she has a little sister as well that, that has been adopted. This young girl had no chance, no hope. She hadn't been held. She hadn't been loved or nurtured. Uh, she too was born to a drug addicted mom uh, and had all those battles and if you could look into this little girl's face there's not even a trace of the tragedy left she's so full of joy she is so healthy and in love with Jesus as a young girl can be And she knows the love of God through a mother and a father now. She has a little sister who has had the same kind of transformation. And there is a little boy who is going through the process now and being tested for HIV and other things. And they are going to adopt him as well. At least that's the way it appears now. So my encouragement is keep praying. I know you're praying for this boy. Don't give up. He needs people, that adults, that he can count on. And God is just so proud of your heart. So I will be praying, and I would appreciate if you would keep me posted how things are going. This is the tragedy of the world that we live in. Here is a question from anonymous question can an abusive husband be changed by prayer and getting saved uh, anonymous yeah uh, anybody can be changed by the power of god that's really important um, we don't want to be so cynical that we think well no this person's too far gone yes they can be changed so keep praying for this abusive husband if you're the abused wife however You need to be careful. Only God can change an abusive husband. Abusers continue to abuse, and the abuse escalates. So if you are the abused woman in this relationship, then you need to leave, and you need to leave now for your own safety. To stay in a place where you're being abused is not pleasing to God. We want to believe the best. We want to believe they can change. But only God can create this kind of change. So yes, you have hope. And yes, continue to pray for him. But if you are the abused victim, you need to get out. You need to get out now. And you need to get out as quickly as you can. If there's nobody in your life that you can go to. You don't know how you'd eat or put a roof over your head. That's why you stay in the abusive situation. Please call us. We have a home for women in this situation. We put you in a safe place, a healthy environment. Wouldn't cost you a penny. But you got to get out. You know, for the entire listening audience here, not just the person who wrote this. One of the single biggest sources of frustration and pain in my 23 years here as a pastor has been people refuse to leave these dangerous situations. I understand the psychology. I understand the shame. I understand even the control of an abusive husband has 
but you've got a husband in heaven. He's the one that you need to run to. He's the one who will never abuse you. And he's the one that you can count on, the one you can trust. And so you've got to get out. You've got to get out now. And as you get out of the relationship, you can still keep praying for the husband and the man. But you've got to protect yourself at all costs. I've seen too many homes where children have grown up where they thought it was acceptable for dad to beat the mom. And those kids often grow up to be abusers themselves. So stop the cycle and do it now. Protect yourself, save your life, and get out. James wants to know, Pastor Ron, what hope is there for people I loved who died without Jesus? James, there's no hope. There's no hope. Now, here's what you can do. You can turn to Luke chapter 16. And as you're looking at Luke chapter 16, remember that Jesus is telling a story here, a real story. This is not a parable. And the rich man who goes into the place of torment after he died um, wants somebody to be able to go and tell his family, Jesus is real. This is true. I'm in torment in this place. Somebody go warn my family. And, of course, the response he got was that um, people won't believe even somebody would raise from the dead. Um, Lazarus couldn't go from one place to another because the, the gulch between the two compartments was too too large. So here's what you can say. Though those who you loved have gone on and are now in torment, what they would say to you is, James, it's real. Go tell people about Jesus. And we know that because that's what Luke 16 tells us. So, James, I know emotionally we'd like to think they're going to get a second chance. They're not. It's appointed in the man to die once and then face the judgment. That's Hebrews 9.27. We'd like to have goosebumpy feelings that say, well, you know, maybe there's some hope, but there isn't. But there's still hope for the people that you come into contact with every day. Obviously, you're a believer. Our job is to make everybody a believer, at least as far as it depends on us. we got to share the message of grace, of forgiveness, of sins, of new life in Christ. We've got to be willing to share that message, and that's what we can do, and that is the message that the ones that you loved, who are now in torment, would say to you if they had the opportunity. You know, James, whenever I do a funeral for a person who is an unbeliever or who we aren't sure was a believer, uh, I always preach a message out of Luke 16. I want them to understand that the one that you love would reach out to you now and tell you, please tell people about Jesus. Don't stop telling them no matter what they say, no matter how much pain that they're in, tell them that they need Jesus because Jesus is real. And then you know what happened, James, when you're telling people about our Lord. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and hope comes flooding into your heart. Not hope for them, but hope for the way God is using you to to, to win and influence others for his kingdom. So the people that you love, they had a chance so now what we do is we give that chance to those who are still alive. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Toll free. You can call us at 877-630-KSLR. Randy wants to know, I know you don't believe there are prophets today, but the New Testament give names of people who were. How can you say there are no longer prophets? Well, Randy, the reason the New Testament gives their names, uh, Philip's four daughters, Agabus, um, um, uh, Silas was a prophet, Barnabas was a prophet, Paul was a prophet. We know all of the writers of the New Testament were prophets. Um, The reason their names are given, because in the first century church, when the Bible was written, there were prophets. I want you to think about this sort of analytically, Randy. 
There was no Bible. You know, when we get saved as Christians, if you're anything like me, you have a million questions because nothing seems to make sense. I really struggle with how could it be that easy? All the terrible things I've done and now people tell me I'm going to heaven. How could it be that easy? Well, every time I'd ask a question, they would say the Bible says. So I had to decide whether or not I believed in what the Bible said. Now, in the first century church, there was no Bible. So God, who's never without his word, had his word come through prophets. They were the walking, living, breathing Bible of the day. If there was a problem in the church, they could say, this is what the Lord would say. Of course, we have all that instruction written down in the word of God. So there are no more prophets like the Old Testament prophets or even like the New Testament prophets. However, there is the gift of prophecy. And the gift of prophecy then is just sharing God's word. We're encouraging, we're edifying the body of Christ. But Ephesians 2 makes it really clear. If you understand the language, the church is being built. I think this is Ephesians 2.20. The church is being built on a foundation already laid by the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. And Randy, the way I've always viewed this, it's just a great word picture for me. I see Jesus sort of the corner, and he's got one arm out, and he's got his apostles on his right hand. He's got his left arm out, and he's got his New Testament prophets on the on, on the other side. And that's the foundation, and from the very beginning, the Church of Jesus Christ that we now live in some 2,000 years later, the Church of Jesus Christ is being built on a foundation already laid. Anybody who knows anything about building knows you need only one foundation. It has to be a solid foundation. Well, ours is Jesus and his apostles and prophets. Now that we have his word, well, there are no more prophets. So are there names of people who are prophets? Of course. And there are many other prophets that are referred to that we don't have names for. Again, we know that all the writers of our New Testament were prophets. We know that because they gave us the Word of God. And so now what we have is we have the Word, we have the teaching of the Word, we have the Holy Spirit working through the teaching of His Word, and that's how we discern what God wants us to do, what's right to do, what's wrong to do, not by prophets. Randy, when I get questions that are phrased like yours... I just want you to be really, really careful because there's no shortage of people who want to speak for God. And they'll come up to you and say, boy, the Lord gave me a word for you, or thus saith the Lord, and they'll, they'll go crazy. If you watch much of what's called Christian television, you got people that advertise themselves as apostles or prophets or both. And they're telling you what God is saying to you or to a listening audience. All you have to do is open your Bible and God, who has already spoken, will speak to you personally. Don't let anyone have influence or authority over your life because they claim that they're a prophet speaking for God. It's one of the reasons, Randy, that we have such horrible, horrible problems arising in these crazy churches where people are just way too quick to speak for the Lord. If you're speaking for God, you better have the Word of God coming out of your mouth. Here is a question from Albert. Albert says, My question is about worship. How would you respond to people who say we should only be singing hymns in church and not have musical instruments? Albert, a couple of things. Now, there's nothing wrong with hymns. But those hymns were written by men who were filled with the Holy Spirit. A mighty fortress is our God. Amazing grace. I mean, those are spirit-rich, spirit-filled songs. Now, if you believe that those are the songs, the only songs we should be singing still, what you have to believe in order to claim that is that God's not speaking through people anymore. If you've seen the movie, I can only imagine... 
God wrote that song through that man. And it's ministered to millions and millions of people. That's what a hymn does. It's just a contemporary hymn. We've got musicians who are gifted not only to play but to write music here at Calvary Chapel and they're writing songs that we really believe are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Why would we even think for a moment that God once gave hymns to people through His Spirit but is no longer doing that? I mean, everybody has the opportunity to serve the Lord and to use their gifts for God. Why shouldn't a musician or composer be able to to write something? So I, I just think it's a really, really difficult position to say, no, we should only be singing hymns because those are the songs that were written by God when, in fact, God is writing songs through really gifted men and women today. Now, I think a lot of things... Albert, that we have to consider when somebody says, God gave me a song. I think, by the way, we're way too quick to say things like, God gave me this song, and then it's filled with all kinds of doctrinal error. That's not a song given to somebody by God. But see, we test those songs by the Word of God to determine whether or not they're from God. I think a lot of contemporary Christian music is way too mushy. And, and obviously going for emotions instead of the substance of words. At the same time, some of those new songs are so rock-solid doctrinally, there's no reason to suggest that they weren't given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. One thing that's really important about worship, Albert, is we really need to look at the words. Not the melody, not the chorus, but look at the words. I was sort of mortified uh, this week. We sang a song, I don't remember what service it was, but there's a song called Healer. And there's a line that says it, and he heals from all our disease. Well, he doesn't do that. He heals all of our one disease, it's fatal sin. So we have to look at those lines and sort of reevaluate them. But a song that's written by the Holy Spirit, whether it's a hundred or five hundred years ago, is no more valid than a song given by the Holy Spirit today just because it has a different beat. Let me also say this about musical instruments. Um, I know there are denominations here that Um, well there's no musical instruments in the book of Acts so we should have musical instruments that's an argument from silence that just doesn't withstand scrutiny Um, I understand we have church traditions and people come from a a background where hymns and or no musical instruments are prevalent and that's what they like or what they've gotten used to but I think what we need to do is rejoice that God is still using people and he's doing it in a contemporary way. We here at Calvary Chapel almost exclusively use contemporary Christian music. Some of it written by some of our guys. But what we need to do is just make sure that they're doctrinally solid. And instead of saying, God gave me this song, let's just say, here's a song, I hope you enjoy it. And let the Holy Spirit determine who did or who didn't. So, Albert, I hope that helps. Well, we're inside three minutes now for the program. No phone calls today. So um, tomorrow maybe we'll see if we can do a little bit better. Uh, Let me see if I can get... Here's one more question I can do today. This is from Brian. Brian says, I think what the church calls sin is misunderstood. Things have changed in this generation, and what you call sin has been accepted by most people. Brian, you're right. What we, the church, the Word of God calls sin uh, has been accepted by most people. But that's not new. It's been this way from the beginning of time. Here's the one thing that you misunderstand, Brian. God hasn't changed. God's old. (laughs) God doesn't change. 
if it was sinful 7,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago, it's still a sin today. And to give the impression that you think just because we've accepted 65 million abortions or we've accepted same-sex marriage or we've accepted that gay lifestyle is now to be approved and affirmed none of that has any influence on God at all people have always rebelled against God they've always done what seems right in their own eyes and there's always been pain and consequences as a result think about this Brian all the things that the Bible calls sin that our current culture embraces and and actually gets angry at because we call it sin Look at those people. They're not fulfilled. They're not satisfied. They're not happy. There's no joy in their lives. They're still on their way to eternity in hell. So your issue isn't with the culture, nor is your issue with me. Your issue is with Jesus Christ. Only God gets to determine what is or is not sin. Only God. We don't get a vote. He doesn't ask our opinion. There are no poles out there. God who created all things, who owns all things, makes the rules. And we have no right to change it. So Brian, I hope that makes it clear. Thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember, tomorrow night I'm going to be doing the second uh, study in Second Samuel chapter 11, David singing Bathsheba. It is an important one. Tune in at calvarysa.com or come in business. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.